So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Ladies and gents, it is Wednesday afternoon here in Oregon, and that means it is it is time to record the Pop Culture Podcast. I hope you're doing really well. It's my favorite time of the week. Just come down here, set up a camera, find a nice little background, and have a little chat with my mates. See what's going on in your world. I just uh, I just got home from Chipotle. I'm not even sure if Chipotle's in Australia. I've never really had it, but it's it's something I've discovered the last the last month and a half. I, I can't get enough of it. It's I mean, it seems relatively healthy. I always get a little bit of added avocado. They look at me because I, I get the vegetarian one. And when I order vegetarian, they say, would you like some protein? Which I feel is, it's sort of an offensive way to ask that question, isn't it? I thought surely that's a, that's a strategic move. Because rather than saying, would you like something filling? Like they, they say, would you like, would you like protein? It's, I, I feel like they're saying, are you going to be a bitch for the entire order? Or, or are you going to add something with like a little bit of substance to your meal? I just say, no, thank you. No protein for me. Americans are obsessed with protein. They're really obsessed with it. I, I watched a documentary the other day. It's a Zac Efron one. And he, he just travels around the world looking at the health habits of different places from, from all around the globe. And, and one of the things that came up in the documentary, I can't remember who said it. But one of the things that came up with was just how, America, how Americans are just obsessed with, with protein. I saw a guy the other day. He looked fantastic, by the way. He looks... I'd never met him before, but as I walked out the backyard, my brother-in-law was standing there talking to him. He said, hey, come and have a chat to this guy, purely based on his arms. And I, I saw his arms, and the sun sort of, you know when the sun hits your arms at the right angle and it casts a few shadows, and it just looks really good? This guy had that look going on. And I thought, well, I've got to go and find out how he does it. So I went up to him and I said, mate, like, you, you do look fantastic. I trust Sammy when he says that you've you've put on some really good size. Just, just walk me through it. How have you done it? And he said, well... I think he was saying he did 400 grams of protein a day, which is which is insane. I'm going to say as a I'm not even a vegetarian, but as a bloke who who's thriving on a mostly vegetarian diet, I'm going to I'm going to suggest that 400 grams of protein would be about I'm going to say 100 cans of chickpeas, chickpeas. I froze then because over here they call them gabonzo beans, and I've been here for that long now that I, I say trash can and gabonzo beans. The Americans really starting to come out. So, so Chipotle was good. I, and you don't need that, that. Was the most surprising thing when you start leaving meat out of. Sorry, this isn't supposed to be like a a no meat evangelism session. That's not. I, I mean, I eat meat, but just Chipotle is better with the vegetarian options. I think, just like uh, Guzmani Gomez, I stand true by both of those calls. I think they're both better vegetarian, but um very filling very very strange actually one thing one thing you notice quite quickly over here and i'm sure you guys have experienced if you've been to the u.s is like every everything just comes with chocolate milk for kids it's quite ridiculous we ordered my kid a, we ordered my kid a, he, he got like a vegetarian option as well not in a not in a way that we're trying to make like a fashion statement for vegetarianism to other kids but just in the way that we thought okay well this looks like a really good healthy option had had some capsicum peppers as i now call it had a little bit of beans, had some brown rice. And uh, and they said, would you like chocolate milk? It comes with it. And my wife, for whatever reason, she said yes, so they put it in the bag. I thought, hey, what an interesting addition. I told you a couple of weeks ago as well, I get confused making orders over here because no one, I, I, I honestly, I'm at a stage now where I don't know because it's, it's in fairness, it's the one girl who, who keeps making mistakes with my orders. 
at Dutch Bros, the little coffee place that I go to. I, this morning, I went in there. I ordered an Americano, nice black coffee. I got my son a, a water. And she said, so an Americano and chocolate milk. I said, no. Like you, that is as far off as you can be. That's as far off as you can possibly be. If you're if you're asking for a bottle of water and and you you know the waitress has heard chocolate milk, I I don't think that's an accent thing. I think this I think this chick's working. It was five to six. We went in there in fairness, so she could have been just waking up. Like there's there's no guarantee that she had a good head on her shoulders. She was she was out of whack clearly. But I had to, uh, I had to, you know, I'm not really good with disagreements. So I told you a couple of weeks ago, I actually, from now and then, I'll just go, you know what, you just give us the chocolate milk and then I'll throw it in the bin and my boy gets nothing. But today, I don't know why I find that difficult. My wife's the opposite. My wife, I'll say, oh, it's fine. Just give me whatever I didn't order. My, my wife will go, that's the complete opposite thing that I ordered. Please just open your ears when I make my order next time. I've got a respect for people who do that, but I get very uncomfortable in the situation where the disagreement's about to take place. I just get... I don't know, I just get a little bit I just get a little bit nervous. I get a little bit uncomfortable when I know there's about to be confrontation because I just I just don't want to experience it. We I've been going out on the road with my brother in law. He he runs a company, he's an arborist and uh good bloke tree care, Aussie Aussie Aussie. And we we were out on the road yesterday and, and we, we went to this place in Ashland, which is I, I think it's like a, a little tiny Portland thrown into like a conservative state of I don't know if Oregon's actually mostly conservative, but it's a little tiny lefty pocket thrown into Oregon. We went out there, and, and this lady, she, was, she must have been 65, 70. She was straight out of the east coast of the USA, and she was just, she was exactly what you'd expect. She's like a female version of Joey Diaz, which, you know, I feel like is not a compliment to a woman, but it's a compliment coming from me because I like Joey Diaz a lot. And she was just a straight talker, and I was getting nervous because she she had that kind of personality where you you just knew for a fact that if she was upset with with what was taking place or the quote that she was about to get, you're about to find like you would find out. Whereas I'd get the quote and I'd say, "Hey, thank you very much. I'll get back to you soon." And then if the quote was too high, I would never ever contact that person again because I think I lean too much on being nice. So I'll lie to your face in, in the name of being nice. Where. You know, people who I actually respect, they'll they'll just be honest with you up front. They'll just tell you like exactly where you stand from the moment, you know, they from the moment you, you know you throw them a quote or whatever it is they disagree with. They'll just be up front. Anyway, I, I was literally getting nervous because Sammy was looking at the trees and I was going, oh no, we're going to have to tell her the quote in a minute. But I mean, she was she was happy to throw around how much money she had. She was talking about she was talking about where she was living before she came to Oregon. So she actually didn't come straight from the east coast. She lived in LA for a while. And and she's like, yeah, we're paying four thousand dollars a month on an apartment right over the water. I'm like, oh, interesting, interesting conversation to bring up as the man who's quoting you on a job. Is is you know he's here. We got back in the car. My brother-in-law says, hey, the best thing to do if you ever get a quote, just tell them you've been looking at a number of quotes. He goes, that keeps us really honest. If you tell us you've got four or five different quotes, we we don't want to be we don't want to be an embarrassment to ourselves. We're going to be trying to get the business. So just just be honest. Just do that. He got the job. He locked it in. He told her, uh, I don't know how much it was, but she didn't flinch. And as soon as she didn't flinch, flinch Sammy was like, ah, oh, I should have made it more. Because that's the thing. You always forget that with a with a bid, I just assumed that the person who was doing the bidding was just going to be honest with me and say, hey, this is how much it is. 
But truth is, there's there's so much wiggle room, isn't there? Like there's a little bit of, he needs his pay, he needs to get his money. It depends how much profit he wants to take from that job uh, as to how much he's going to quote them. So hey, there's a little tip for you. Tip of the week with Tice, just if you're getting a couple of bids or if you're getting a quote, just tell tell the person who's doing the bid that that you've got you've had a couple. You've had a couple of bids. Anyway, we went to uh, there's a place here called the Brit. So for those of you in Melbourne, it's it's sort of like the Sydney night my music bowl, but but better. It's way more. I don't know if it's better because I'm I'm sentiment not sentimental. I don't know if it's better because I'm in America and it's still a little bit fun to me. I don't think it is. It's got a really good atmosphere. I think that's what I like about it. For an outside venue, it's got a really good atmosphere. We went there last week to see this band called Camp, and then on Sunday just gone. So three days ago, we went to see the great man, Mr. Nate Bagazzi. Nate Bagazzi. He's a funny dude. It was so good. So we then, It's weird as well. I didn't realize he's such a clean comedian. There's nothing nasty in there. And for this part of America, a very Christian part of America, I'm going to tell you, one thing I've noticed is I'll go into the local cafe here, Forage, and every time I go in, no, no joke, there's someone doing a Bible study, which is, hey, good. I like it. Get to know the big man. But it's just in Melbourne, if you saw someone reading a Bible in a cafe, you go, what's going on with this guy? What's happened there? Why is he doing that? Very different places. Very different places. Melbourne's very secular, isn't it? Like the idea of having a Bible is, you know, it makes you a target in Melbourne. Whereas here, it's a respected thing. People come around and go, hey, you're just studying the book of Romans, are you? Yeah, sweet. Powerful message. Powerful message. <laughs> but Nate Bogazzi is, uh, I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go with Bogazzi for the sake of not having to apologize. But Nate Bogazzi was, he was talking about how he was raised in, like a really strict Christian family. It was funny because he was talking about the the fact that he was the first child and his parents, when they were 23, had him and they went through like the heaviest phase of Christianity. And then he had like a younger sister who was 10 years younger and, and they'd sort of, they'd phased out of their Christianity a little bit by then or like the real religion part of it. And they were, they were letting her off the hook with things that they that he would, never would have got away with him. I, I don't know, like, obviously there's a heap of joking in there, but he's a clean comedian as a result. I'm thinking, I think you've just been tormented into being a clean comedian, you poor bloke. But this part of the world, they love that. It was uh, Honestly, I had about three or four conversations with different people in the friendship group that we were there with after. Like, how good was it, how clean he was? How good was that? Like, I don't really care how clean he was. I don't know, people always say your jokes have to be funny if you don't swear. I'm not convinced that's true, because... Sometimes an F-bomb just makes makes every joke funnier, I think. That's, maybe I'm saying that because that's my crutch. If I can see a joke's going badly, I'll just I'll swear as much as I can and try and take people's attention away from how bad that joke is. So it was, I'm still getting used to this. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what my headspace is, is on, on this at the moment, but concealed carry was appropriate. So on the tickets, it says they need to give you a note about whether you're allowed to take your gun to the show or not. And the answer was you were. It just had to be concealed. And this is where I get confused because I... So the two sides to the gun argument, people go, all right, well, if if there's a mass shooter, if there's a guy who's lost his mind and he's... Lo- I say guy because it's always a guy, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Ladies, step up. <laughs> step, that's not funny. It's always a guy. But seriously, like honestly, if we're talking about equality, ladies, you're gonna have to step up because um, this is—I I just don't like that you're leaving all these to the just to the men. But but what's interesting is a lot of people here say, okay, if there's a mass shooting, what you're gonna have to do is you you want someone there with a concealed weapon because they'll be able to take out their pistol and then they'll be able to take down the actual bad guy. And and so I thought it's interesting. Like we're going to a comedy show, I'd be nervous on stage knowing that 
majority of the men in that audience were carrying pistols. Because all it takes is like one beer too many or one bag joke and all of a sudden the bloke with a good aim can can just start firing at you, which is, which is way more scary than just bombing. Like if you're bombing on stage, it's scary. If you're getting shot at on stage, it just makes it hard to remember your punchlines. But he seemed to handle it pretty well. He's from Ohio. I'm not sure what the gun laws are there. But, but people here are very relaxed with it. They're not worried about it because they've grown up. And yet we were having dinner before we went to the show. And, and one, of the husband, uh, one of the girls, one of the wives of one of the guys that we were there with was like, yeah, I just feel, I just feel safer knowing that you know, a lot of guys just are carrying concealed weapons. And I was like, yeah, but, but why? Like, why do we need to take it to the concert? And a couple of them said, because if there's someone there that loses their mind with a gun, then that person will be able to take him down. But my only problem with that is if, if because you get scanned as you go in, like, and if everyone gets scanned as they go in, right, and everyone gets beeped for a gun, they take everyone's gun off, then who's the bad guy with the gun? Like, I don't really understand that. I understand it for a high school, maybe. Maybe the teachers can have a gun in case one of the kids loses their mind over their maths homework. But but when you're at a concert where there's, like, if, if everyone just didn't have a, is that making sense? This is the hardest part because that sounds so logical to me, but... When you say that to a person on the other side of it, they're like, you bloody Australians don't get it, which is also true. Which is also true. I'm trying to get my head around it slowly, but it's just, it's hard to comprehend, to be honest. Anyway, so I enjoyed the show, but honestly, I was sitting there for a long time thinking, I wonder I wonder who the person closest to wanting to pull the trigger at him right now is. Because there has to be someone on a spectrum. Like, if everyone there has a gun... There's got to be a spectrum of, like, surely there was one guy there going, oh, I could be on the news tonight if I just do it. If I just pull the trigger, I could be on the news tonight. And that's that's not something I, that's the best thing about being in Australia is, you know, the most dangerous thing a person in the audience has is a straw. And all the straws are paper now, so they're not even really sharp. I can sense the American audience here is frustrated at me to a degree because it sounds as though I'm having a go at gun laws. I'm not. I'm on your side. I'm on. I'm just saying I'm confused. I'm just trying to get my head around it. As an Australian bloke who, the most dangerous weapon I have at my house is honestly my lawnmower. If the government, if the government tried to take over my house, I'd have to sprint out in the backyard, start my lawnmower up, and run at it with with like an angle so the blade would actually be exposed because. Otherwise, it would just be like a frustrating object hitting their ankle, which would, I, I think, make them more angry. But cultures are different like that. You can't come over here and... I get weird around guns. I think just because I've never been around them before. It was like when I started talking to girls for the first time, I was a little bit like, oh, what do you do? What am I supposed to do? I'm not really sure where to put my hands. And I don't accidentally... I just don't want to accidentally, you know, blow off... Well, I'm not supposed to. Is <laughs> that's not. Yeah, you could say I, I saw that there was a there was a joke there. There was a joke there about blowing blowing your load too early. But I don't know. I wasn't sure. I, I hadn't thought that one through. Maybe you could send me the punchline for that. Would really appreciate a punchline for that because I feel like there could be something special there. Hey, remember a couple of weeks ago I showed you those those mushrooms that I got gifted at a comedy night a couple of weeks ago. So first time, first time ever on on saturday night was we gave it a go i gave it a little go i went very light i'm here's what i realized i'm very i'm very conservative when it comes to um going into like weird states of consciousness i've got i think all of my friends have way bigger balls when it comes to this than i do one of my okay so here's the thing we had we had those little mushrooms and on the back of the bag it said look if you want a microdose do one to five if you want like a a a semi-cool experience you do you do uh 
five to twenty. And if you if you want to just go to a different world, you want to do you want to do twenty to fifty. And I thought, well, I don't want to go to a different world right now. I'm not a hundred percent sure that's where I want to go. Uh, I'm interested in in just having a little experiment. Experiment. I don't. I just don't want to go too crazy. Just let me dip my toes in the water before I dive right in. But I was with a couple of people who were who were dive riding kind of people. So we were standing around the backyard, and and I took one out. My brother-in-law took two. My brother-in-law's ex-brother-in-law took, I think he did four. And then we waited for about an hour or something, and we were all completely fine. And so we started doing some Googling. How long does it take? What are you supposed to expect? And apparently one of the most common mistakes with mushrooms is uh, is is people people assume that they're not working too quickly and start going too hard. So I thought, oh, I'm going to play it safe here. But my brother-in-law did two more. His ex-brother-in-law did about six more. Anyway, let's cut a long story short. By the end of the night, Dave was the the, the ringleader. He'd done he'd done twenty four, and he was in Space Cadet Land. He was he was just in a different place. I looked over him about eleven o'clock at night, and he had his legs just off the hammock, and he was uh you know. He was having a really interesting experience. Me and my brother-in-law, we were just still playing table tennis, but we were really appreciating the sound of the table tennis ball. He kept looking at me, and I was a mix in his eyes between Charlie Kernow and a bloke wearing a mask. He would look at me from time to time and see Charlie and go, man, you're a good-looking man. Charlie Kernow's a, a Carlton footballer from Australia, if uh, from Carlton Football Club. If you, I just said Carlton twice. I'm not sure. Maybe the residue of these, these mushrooms of hanging around for a couple of days because... You know, you shouldn't have to repeat yourself twice within within ten seconds. But the other one was, yeah, I had this mask on my face. In his opinion, so he'd look at me and freak out. And I go, dude, can you not look at me and freak out? It's like, honestly, man, I wish you could see your face. It's terrifying, which is never nice. It's never a nice feeling. My only weird experience was so I was earlier in the night after we'd just done it. I was standing next to the table tennis table, and I was watching uh, Sammy and Dave have a conversation with each other, and and. It, from where I stood, I thought I was just observing the conversation. I thought I was just watching what they were saying. I thought I, I thought I had nothing to contribute. I just didn't realize I was a part of it. Then all of a sudden, the the conversation froze, and I came too. And they they were both looking at me like, going, "Dude, what what are you saying? I don't I don't understand your point." And I I was convinced that I had said nothing. I was looking at these guys like, "Okay, maybe they're taking the piss. I'm not too sure." I'd never been so self conscious, so I just kept saying to myself, hey, "You know what? Stop talking." No more talking to us because everything that you're saying is you're regretting. <laughs> so it's it's a really weird experience. I think I don't know for those of you who have done more of it. Like I I know that it can be super hallucinogenic, but for me it wasn't. I I could definitely feel my brain being a little more active. Like when I laid down in bed that night, I could just see the table tennis ball just going to different sides. And oh man, our table tennis game improved. This is what I was unsure about. I'm not sure whether. We actually got better at table tennis as a result, or we just appreciated the little simple things because so many rallies we would celebrate. We would go, "Oh my gosh!" Like that was incredible rally we just had. We just we just took that to a different. I wish we had filmed it because I would have loved to have been able to look back and go, "All right, like it was either incredible or there's not much there." Overall, I wasn't a huge fan to be honest. I wasn't a huge fan. We tried. I told you a couple of weeks ago as well that 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 bloke that we did a bid for, he gave us a little bag of, of weed. And I'm very, very amateur when it comes to the weed scene. I've got a low tolerance. It was only the second time I'd ever done it. And uh, I did it with my uncle, my uncle once, but we didn't know how to roll it. It's really confusing to roll 
For those of you who do roller cigarettes, well done to you. Like, that's a commitment. I feel like rolling a cigarette is like the record player of cigarettes. There's, there's an easier way to do it. You don't have to roll anymore, and yet here we are. You can just put a CD player, you can just put a CD in the CD player and press, you don't even need to do that anymore, we've got Spotify. So I think rollies are like the, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, that Spotify's available, stop rolling them. But Sammy had a pipe and, and this little, uh, it was like a bullet lighter, it was weird, so you could just shoot that right in. I think what happened, I think maybe my response was actually to the, to the weed rather than to the mushrooms, because I went very, very light on the mushrooms. I'm not sure. Does that sound like a, a response to weed, though? Like just sitting back and just being really laggy to the conversation. I didn't enjoy it. People say that like, some people are very, uh, very up and about, very animated. They've got a great ability to be able to get things done. I, I couldn't even think straight. I just felt a little bit yuck. I was like, oh, please don't let me just turn into one of these blokes who... I start getting nervous that that's going to be my new state of consciousness forever. I'm like, oh, man. Like there's so many things in my life which are already difficult when I'm, I'm fully with it and sober. I really don't want this to be a, uh, a new little hurdle for me to have to jump. I didn't want to wake up and think, you know, think I was an orange or a piece of fruit and, you know, I've heard horror stories like that. I might have told you about that before, but um, I feel one thing led to another. When the girls were out and we were doing this, we started playing that game Sting Pong. Do you know that, you know, the game Sting Pong? I was, I was in four, man, like the other day. So there were the three boys and we got our shirt off and said, hey, what we'll do, we'll play table tennis, but then whoever loses the point, we will just smack the ball as hard as we possibly can into the back of the other person. And as a result, things got very wild. I, my eye was, my eye was on, like my eye was in. It was incredible my ability just to constantly, just uh, I felt bad. I, my, my brother-in-law looked like a, a blue ring octopus. He just had like inflammation marks all over his back. I escaped quite scot-free, apart from the fact that so they had the they had the bars which obviously hold up the table tennis table like a table, you know, table tennis. That's why it's you don't know you know what a table tennis table looks like. But I was going so hard with the hits that as I followed through, my left ankle, uh, my left ankle kept banging the side of the table. Look at this. I'm sorry. I know feet aren't that nice, but for those of you watching, check this. How's that for a bruise? They were pissing themselves, laughing at me, saying, hey, Toss, you're overreacting. Um, you know, just relax. We're just having a little bit of fun. I'm sure it wasn't as painful as you're making out. And then I, I did it twice in a row, and the ankle, I, I feel like, have you ever just rolled an ankle before? I, I, my right ankle is actually munted. I've got to do physio and stuff on it because of how bad it is. But my left ankle right now is, is it just feels as though I've rolled it. So maybe I just whacked the ligament so hard that, gets damaged when you roll it and my ankles just sent a message to the rest of my body saying hey look i just got some time i went for a run this morning though and it, it, there was no pain which is i guess it's possible with a, a rolled ankle as well i'm not sure my calves are sore now as a result though which i don't like because calves are calves are the injuries that people as they get older start referring to as it's like the old man injury i'm only 35 so i don't think it's that but i i can't speak openly about it with family and friends because they all know i'm a runner and whenever I say uh, calf, calf soreness, they go, ah, Tice, all right, your time's almost up, mate. I go, I'm 35 years old. I've only just tried mushrooms for the first time. It can't be up just yet. Let me keep going. That's the cool thing as well. It makes me realize how cool my wife is because I told her that story about us the other night. And so many wives go, you know what, I just don't want a husband doing things like that. My wife goes, what was it like? 
like, was it was it a cool experience? I was like, oh, babe, thanks for your curiosity. She goes, look, the only thing, honestly, that I'm a little bit upset about is the fact that our kids were home. I go, no, no, I was in a state of consciousness that I think, regardless of you know, if Charlie had started crying, I would have been able to, I would have been able to come to the attention. I thought if he starts looking like a mushroom or a you know a, a marshmallow or just started making noises, which is not known for a baby to make, then it could have been a concern. But as far as I could tell, it all just went well. The only I got a little bit I got a little bit anxious though towards the end of it I I I don't know why I just started to convince myself that my brother-in-law and his ex-brother-in-law were going to run into my room and turn on the lights and wake us all up so I, I locked the door I locked me and Charlie in our room so I mean maybe the only side effect was paranoia it's weird how weed does that isn't it like there was a couple of times that I looked across at Sammy and he was already looking at me and then he would be like, what are, you, what are you staring at me for? What is it? Is it some, did I say something wrong? Is it? And I felt the same thing. I was like, man, look how, like, we're, we're very paranoid, aren't we? It's incredible how uptight we are. So I'm not sure how often I'd like to do that. People say that microdosing is a really interesting thing to venture into and it can actually make other parts of your life productive. But for, for me, I'm just not convinced. I think I just like coffee and a green, a green juice. Green juice is the best thing. I think the the best thing about the mushrooms was they were quite tasty. Best thing about a green juice is the way you feel once you've done it because uh, the opposite effect happens when you're drinking the green juice. They're gross. Crunchy spinach, celery, turmeric, ginger. It's good. It's the good stuff. But when you drink that all combined, it's not that good. It's actually actually quite horrific. But the the effects of that afterwards are good, whereas the, the mushrooms taste good and then just take you into a weird little space where... Your friend looks like Charlie Kerner and then a scary mask. It's a very strange kind of thing. We're heading up to Portland tomorrow as well, which will be interesting. On the subject of drugs, I'm pretty sure Portland's going to be central. Portland's where all the all the good stuff happens in the sense of, um, you know, just terrible stuff, all the woke stuff. So I don't even know if I'm excited to go there. Apparently there's a really big bookshop called Powell's Bookshop, which is like five stories high. That's the most exciting thing. Like that, for me, that's why I want to go there mostly because I, I bumped into a girl at a cafe yesterday. She, she said she lived up in Portland for about five years. And I don't know, she gave me real, she just gave me real Melbourne vibes. I said, what should I do there? She's like, do you like cafes? I was like, oh, of course, it comes with the package. She goes, do you like, do you like drinks? I go, well, my wife does. I will go there. She's pregnant, but it won't stop her. Um, there's, a lot of what she said was was just wanky Melbourne stuff. So I think honestly we're just going to a Melbourne a couple of years down the track. Do you know, it's just very secular. There's a lot of Black Lives Matter posters. There's a lot of people who are very angry. It sounds like a scary place, but I don't know if I'm just hearing from conservatives because they keep saying to me, "Oh, don't go there with a Trump hat on." I said, "What makes you think I have a Trump hat in the first place? Like where where did that even come from?" They say, "You know, don't pack a red shirt." I go, "Well, surely it can't be that bad." I get nervous about that as well because I always I always take so personally the way people see Melbourne and so many people over here are like, dude, I'm so glad you got out. I'm like, what are you talking about the the lockdowns? They're like, yeah, we saw you guys getting shot with rubber bullets. I'm like, yeah, but it's very strange here as well because as someone who hadn't had the vaccine back in Australia, yet you still looked at like you're a little bit interested. Over him, like heaps of people just they, they don't even care. It's going to be very hard to come back and just deal with some of the bullshit still going on. We got a letter from my my kid's kindergarten the other day, and it just said, "Hey, we've been strongly advised that we need to get everyone to mask up again." I got real like, "Why? We're all we've all got seven vaccines. We've been masked and locked down, and like, what are we doing? What game is this now? Are we still <laughs> are we still playing?" 
I can't play that game anymore. I thought I was a nice guy, and then people started telling me to put a mask on. I was like, wow, you got a lot of anger up there, old poppy. You got a lot of anger stored up. You got to deal with that, buddy. I've been looking at the Enneagram personality types, trying to understand myself a little bit better as well. And I've I've got the kind of personality. So I'm I'm a Type Seven, which is like the adventurer. So Type Seven's the kind of person that yeah. You like to, I think you like to be seen as the life of the party. Like you're quite out there. You're often perceived as very fun. You can be perceived. Actually, this is a problem as well. People look at you, go, and you know, I don't think there's much going on below the surface in terms of emotional understanding, which is probably true in a lot of cases. I don't know. Jesse says things sometimes. I don't understand. She got upset the other day about something. She she bumped her nail really hard and she was bawling her eyes out. Thought she was about to have a panic attack. And I realized I've got no sympathy. I'm terrible because I just I was just like, baby, you're gonna be fine. It's going to be fine. But the Enneagram's good because it actually it gives you a little bit of a... Uh, it helps you delve into the personalities a little bit better. Jesse's a type 3, which is like a... How do you explain a type 3? They're very productive. They, they like to be perceived as doing very well. And a lot of the time, they do just do very well. If you haven't seen the Enneagram test, go do it. It's, it's very helpful. It's also very confronting because it tells you about the weaknesses in your personality as well. And they're, they're spot on. It's it's not just like a um, a star sign thing. Like it's a it's incredibly accurate. It's not just saying, hey, if you if you put these your lucky numbers down this week, you might win Tesla. It's not that. It's far more accurate. And even compare it, like give it to someone who, who loves you and knows you well and, and let them tell you if it's accurate. Anyway, I've been doing like a little bit of a, a little bit of figuring out myself over the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure why I started telling you about the Enneagram. We went from Portland. Oh, I was telling you about how angry I got the last couple of years. Yeah, that's not that's not on the type seven when they're healthy. So Portland will be interesting. Hopefully it's not what every stereotype of Portland makes it look like it's going to be. Just like, you know, Melbourne's probably not the way that every American thinks it is at the moment. But there's still a lot of wankers. Like, we're, there's a lot of us wankers in Melbourne, isn't there? You've got to be honest. I'm still ordering soy lattes. And as I say, if you're, if you're still ordering soy lattes, you've still got a fair bit of wank left in you. So I'll probably, you know what? I bet you I get to Portland and absolutely love it. And I'm going to be so ashamed to admit that I love it because so many people that I respect just don't at the moment. They say, just go there for five minutes or don't go there. But what I'm most excited about is on the way going up to... We're stopping via Eugene, where the World Athletics Champs are taking place. My mate Stuart McSwain just finished eighth in the freaking world last night, which is a Kenyan-dominated sport, really, an East African-dominated sport. But I say that um, last night, Jakey Whiteman from the UK just just tore the absolute house down when he beat Jakob Ingebrigtsen over the 1500 meters, just held him off like a champ in that last 100 meters. Such a feel-good story as well. Jake Whiteman, he's 28 years old. I think he's Scottish. He's pretty good. Obviously, he's very good. He'd run 329.4 for 1,500 metres a couple of years ago. He won a Diamond League, which is like an international race that takes place uh, in different places around the world in Rabat just last month. and then But Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Olympic champion, Norwegian, 21-year-old, world at his feet, highly anticipated to win. Really hard to imagine him being beaten by anyone in the field, but definitely not Jake Whiteman. I notice if you look at the field, everyone's got like these fluoro yellow shoes on. They're all the Nike-sponsored athletes. I'm pretty sure Jakey Whiteman was sponsored by New Balance, so, man, he'll be getting a nice little pay rise, a nice little paycheck. Good on him. Because with running, it's you, you often see people who have been around the mark for a long time, which I guess he has. He's been around the mark for a long time. But I thought 
for a little while, he was just going to be one of those athletes that he he ran around and didn't really break any records. He didn't really he didn't really win anything major, and I'm so glad he proved me wrong. So big shout out to big shout out to Jakey Whiteman. Eugene is is where it's at at the new uh, track. So they used to I think it's still called Haywood Field, but they used to have a place called Haywood Field, the old track, and the old track was where. The great man, Steve Prefontaine, uh, you know, he was a mover and shaker in the 70s until he died in a car accident on the hill coming down into Eugene. And uh, if you don't know Steve Prefontaine, YouTube, he's the, he's the one athlete that makes distance running cool because there's not many sports in the world where it's very hard to be seen as cool. Like if you look at NFL, every player's cool. You look at AFL, there's a few cool players. NBA, super cool. What else is a sport where there's plenty of cool people? I'm not sure. Soccer, plenty of cool people there, good looking. Distance running's funny because you have to be incredibly skinny. And no one's that attracted to someone who just runs fast, are there? Like no no girl ever looked at me in high school and was like, hey, hey Tice, how fast can you run? I was like, very fast. They go, ooh, naughty. That was that was not a thing. Whereas if you were in the gym, they go, How much can you lift? You go 110 kilos. They go, ooh, naughty. Do you know? So I was I was the guy in the gym in high school where they're like, I could bench press you. And I was like, that's that's not attractive. And all the pretty girls would see it just being there watching me get bench-pressed. And they were never looking at me going, oh, I want a man who can be bench-pressed. They look at the guy doing the bench-pressing and go, oh, powerful, exotic, gorgeous. Have you ever noticed that? Like, you've got to be honest with yourself. When you look at yourself in the mirror as a distance runner, you can't look at yourself and go, I'm a very attractive person. I don't think... Because honestly, that was the experience in high school. All the good-looking girls, they would come up to me and they would say, Oi, and I'd go, here we go, I'm in. they go, can you put in a good word to the guy from the football team, tell him I like him? I said, why did you choose me? They're like, because you're a runner, I know how fast you'll be able to tell him. I was like, okay, well, look, I have a crush on you. They're like, oh my God, I can see your ribs. <coughs> it will never work out between us. So I'm not holding on to that like for too long. I'm... 35 I was 17 I think when that occurrence happened but anyway we're doing it tough is what I'm trying to say who's the best looking distance runner there would be like this doesn't necessarily apply to women I don't think I think some of the girls are are still very attractive in the distance running scene actually there's plenty of attractive girls in the distance running scene sorry to Jessie if she's listening to that my wife but you got to be honest with with what you see I think up until about 800 guys do okay, but then once you get to 1,500, that's where you start to lose a, a fair bit of body mass because like, you look at the marathons. You look at the marathons, you go, all right, well, I've got to carry this body around for 42 kilometers. You don't want it to be super heavy. That's why I always promise, Jesse, when I get out of distance running, I'm going to get into the gym. And I mean, I, I did that for a little while. And I'm still doing it. My problem is you've got to, if you want to put on size, you've got to eat so much. Like that guy at the start of the podcast I was telling you about with his protein. And I'm not, I've just got so, I've got enough things to do in my life. I don't just want to add eating as another one. Because like if I have to start counting carbs as well, it's like, all right, well, this is a lot. And I always get, I don't know if you ever feel like this, but whenever it comes to actually trying to put on weight, I always get torn between like, is it health? Like obviously it looks really good to put on weight. You look better with a bit of size, but then is it healthy to have to just stuff yourself constantly with more and more food? Because I watched that show, The Blue Zones. I read that I read that book, The Blue Zones, looking at the oldest and healthiest people in the world. And I never once read that there was a place in the world where the health option that they took was just to force as much protein, carbohydrate, and calories into their body as they possibly could so they looked good at the beach. It's just not, 
it doesn't quite add up. But then I guess the flip side of that is hey, it makes it easier to be strong. You can be a lot stronger if you've uh, if you got the calories. I'm not sure. Maybe I should just get over the health and, and just embrace some triceps. Maybe I'm making excuses. It's, it's hard to know for sure. I wasn't happy last night either. We, we went down to, uh, it's called Lake of the, not Lake of the Woods, Lost Creek. Because my, uh, my mate bought a sailboat and we were walking down there. And I was having a day where yesterday I thought, hey, Poppy, you look very good. You look very, you know those times where you catch yourself in the mirror and you go, mate, you're on today. I was, I was having one of those days. So I had a little bit of a strut in my step. Problem is my brother-in-law is just gorgeous. He's absolutely gorgeous. I can't deny it. And we were walking down to the sailboat and I was walking towards this girl. She had a bikini on from a distance. She looked very good. We were walking closer and I, I had a little strut in my step because I was Jessie was behind me. I wanted to see that her husband still had it. From a distance, I could see that she had a little smile on her face as well. I was like, Pop, you have still got it. As we got closer, I realized she was looking directly behind me to where Sammy, my brother-in-law, was standing and didn't even notice I existed. She gave him a little smile. He's a married man, so he just let that one slip. And I held on to that for the rest of the night, going, what, what is it about me that you hate? This is as good as I can possibly look. And then I start, I start justifying it, but like, no, no, Tice. What you need, mate, you need to show off your personality. And then I told Jessie that, I go, babe, she might not have seen me that time, but if she got to know me, she got to know the personality, she would have been so. She gets, but Jessie goes, babe, honestly, the more I get to know you, the more you say stuff like this, the less attractive you get. I go, okay, well, I'm still working on my theory a little bit, so I'm not 100% sure. There's, there's obviously a few glitches in my perception of reality at the moment could be a little bit of residue from those mushrooms the other day but that hurts doesn't it like when you think you always remember my dad saying when we were in Greece in 2006 he was 42 years old and in his eyes still looking very good and I remember seeing him strut around married man shouldn't have been strutting in the way that he was when we were in Greece but I could tell whenever an attractive woman was nearby because he'd slightly change the little cadence and strut in his step and I remember him saying to a friend on the phone look we're, I'm looking very good I'm doing the best I can not getting much off the Greek women not getting much off the Greek women so what I, I tell you that to say hey I know how you feel. I know how my old man feels. It feels strange to be walking in his walking in his shoes. It's been interesting. We've only got one week till we go home now. And the only part of going home that I'm looking forward to, and parents, you'll appreciate this one. My boy's waking up progressively earlier every morning, and we can't do sleep training because the room that we're staying in is the only room that he can be in. Like there's two other so there's three kids in the house at the moment and uh, the other kids are sleeping like normal children at, at four in the morning. So Charlie will wake up at four in the morning and because we're in the same room, he'll start going, hey, dad, dad, daddy. And I'll, I'll ignore him to a point and then he'll go, mum, mum, mummy, out, up, fast. That's what he says now. He goes fast. He wants to go fast. That's his new thing. I'm kind of proud. As soon as he wakes up in the morning, he wants to put on his shoes and go out the front and just run fast. That's his, that's his thing. But it's not, it's not that funny now because it's been five weeks of sleep deprivation. In fact, now I say five weeks of sleep deprivation, I don't think any experimentation with mushrooms is going to get near the kind of hallucinations that five weeks of just lacking sleep every single day is going to get you. Because we got here and the first day he slept until eight, uh, he slept until 11. He had a couple of hours up that night. So we're like, no, that makes sense. He's had a really tough day. 
but it'll just get better and better from here. Problem was, it didn't get better and better from there. It got worse and worse from there to a point that, you know, after that 11 a.m., the next day was like a 7.40, the next day was a 6.30, the next day was a 6. Now, honestly, he's been waking up at 4, and we go, well, we, do we just cop it sweet for the next week? Who needs, who needs sleep that much? And then I try and have a conversation for 10 minutes. I go, me, I need sleep. I, it's me who needs that much sleep because I'm, I'm really starting to struggle. So parents, if you're out there, you got any help for me? What I'm asking is I, I need it. It's going to be strange getting back as well because the weather here has been bloody nice. I'm looking outside. My, my brother-in-law's got sunflowers growing and watermelon going. There's chickens running around. Got rose bushes looking good. I can see lavender. He's got raspberries on the tree. We're going back to we're going back to eight degrees. Which, if you're listening to Australia, in Australia, you're not going to have any sympathy for me about. But if you're listening from you know the USA, you'll appreciate that that's bloody cold. I'm not sure. I think that's like fifty degrees Fahrenheit. I haven't quite figured out the conversions just yet. But but it's going to be a little bit chilly. That means I have to get back into my cold water swimming, which I love. But I also love tanning. So tanning's been the big thing here. I'm looking forward to getting back into some comedy as well. Comedy's going to be good. I think comedy seems easier in the States. I'm not sure what's going on there. I was saying this to my family the other day. I'm not 100% sure what's happening here. But there's... there's def- I think maybe because I'm a little bit foreign. There's something about me which is just a little bit different. People aren't used to having an Aussie in their town and so maybe they're a little more receptive. But the responses that you get on stage over here, people, even if you, you're bombing, people piss themselves. It sounds like I'm doing a humble brag right now. I've had a couple of legitimate bombs. That one I told you about where the guy just yelled at me because I didn't do more to protect Australia's gun laws was embarrassing. But um, I'm looking forward to getting back over there. I'm looking forward to getting back home as much as I've loved it here. Trying to think. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I, I wanted to tell you. Uh, you know, there was one thing that I wanted to talk to you about a little bit, which is just suggested YouTube videos. Because I feel like suggested YouTube videos can make you look really good or really bad depending on your audience. Now, I need to confess that I haven't watched porn since 2008. And so it's very important to me that that doesn't come up on you, my YouTube feed because that's going to suggest that, you know, I've got a pretty clean record in that department. But a video uh, which is a little suggestive makes people think that that's coming up because you're looking at similar material. And the other day, I was sitting on my computer and I had an ad for I had an ad for Blippy, which was a childhood entertainer. That one made sense because my boy loves uh, Blippy. But next to him, I had exotic Indian women looking for single men between the ages of 25 and 40. And I thought, well, that's an advertisement directed at me specifically. Why is it that that's coming up on my feed? Why is it that like someone looking over my shoulder goes, ah, so Tyson's got a thing for exotic Indian women who are looking for a white man between the age of 25. I, I don't. Just like I don't have a thing for Blippi, but at least with Blippi, there were some searches involved. Now, I understand it sounds like I'm justifying this hard, which might make you think that I was looking at something questionable. Not true. It wasn't happening. I'm not 100% sure what's taken place there. Maybe Ceres overheard me saying something about exotic Indian women. But does that ever happen to you? Because you've got to be careful, especially in a room full of people. If you're casting from your phone onto a TV and the exotic Indian woman comes up, everyone ignores it like someone doing a silent little fart. You pretend it's not an issue because you don't want to embarrass the person. But deep down, people are going, hang on a second. What's going on here? Why is there a little exotic Indian woman? You're married, mate. Your wife is next to you, looking very questionable, looking very concerned. Just me? I thought it might have been. That's all right. Guys, I'm uh, I'm keeping this one short and sweet today, but I love you. I'm looking forward to uh, to catching up next week. 
Uh, have a little bit more time next week. We're, we're getting organized to go to Portland. So, I mean, I'm on a schedule. What can I say? Going to Portland, Eugene. So I've got to go get myself ready. But much love to you and your family. And until next week, you guys stay safe, stay sexy, and I'll, uh, I'll see you all then. All right, bye.